How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? How long will this depression grip my soul? How long will this terrible, dreadful sorrow last? Have your prayers ever sounded like this? Or maybe you've thought those words, but you dared not pray them. Does it seem to you like life is getting harder? Over Thanksgiving, a woman in the grocery store in a casual conversation said to me, well, no one feels safe. I recall a time, though, when things seemed simpler. Even in my own life, I recall a time when I let my kids run free in the neighborhood from dawn till dusk, very assured that everyone was looking out for everyone else. Monsters were not real. They were, they were hidden in the dust under the bed. Our children worried about ordinary things. I remember in 1982, it was cold. Winter was cold. We lived in Western Canada. And as usual, in sometime in the winter, we had gone into a spell of minus 40. And we'd been there for a few weeks. Now, minus 40 warms up to minus 38 in the day. That's how it goes. And it just sits there. And one night, we were driving with our kids into the city of Edmonton. And our four- and six-year-old were in the back seat having a theological conversation. Our four-year-old, Ben, said, Rachel, where does weather come from? And Rachel, who was six and much wiser, said, Ben, Rachel, uh, weather always comes from the weatherman. <laughs> and then Ben, who has become a theologian, you could see the seeds in him there, he paused and for quite a while thought, and then he said, Rachel, maybe Satan is the weatherman. <laughs> for a Canadian kid, Satan is the weatherman. <laughs> but we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, are we? Our problems aren't the weatherman. Every life involves suffering. Don't kid yourself that anyone escapes. We invited our African community to come to us and creatively express the suffering they feel for their continent, for their nations. And they did it so beautifully. Thank you. But we are all afflicted in many ways. We have fallen bodies, and we live in a fallen world, and the human heart is aching, and the threats are very real and imminent. They're not monsters under the bed. And I have to tell you that Christ followers are not exempt. We are not exempt. In Genesis 3, there's an account of the fall when sin becomes part of the life of this world, and it records for us the impact that that's going to have on us. And in that, God says to women that there will be a great increase in the pain of childbirth. As a mother and as a grandmother, I want to tell you that I have long believed that this pain of childbirth has nothing to do with whether or not it hurts to give birth. Some legalistic communities don't allow their women to have any, any sort of pain-relieving drugs during childbirth so that they can realize their full salvation. You can only imagine what I think of that, but I won't tell you. <laughs> Anyone knows me, you know I have a few words about that. But I have come to believe that the pain of childbirth is that women now bring their precious infants into a world that is broken. No longer is any child safe, nor can you keep that child safe. If you homeschool, if you keep them protected, no matter what you do, you will not keep your children safe. The pain of childbirth is that our children are born into a world that will hurt them. Dawn and Paul Tippy, 
many of you know Paul, he works in our information services, he's over our library, are fighting today for the life of their tiny five-week-old infant son, Michael, who may or may not survive even today. They are experiencing the pain of childbirth. It's much more painful to watch your child come home drunk or to feel the pain they experience when they're wounded in a relationship or excluded from some form of life. It's much more painful of that than to give birth to them. And we all suffer together. No one escapes this. That is the pain of childbirth. And as parents, our task, interestingly, is not really to protect our children from that pain, although we try to do that. But our task is as much as possible to accompany them through it and see them through to become people of character and resilience. But we cannot protect them from their pain. In a very similar way, our new birth in Christ, there's a sense that as a mother, God gives birth to us, brings us into this kingdom, this not yet fully realized kingdom, and even as he births us into this kingdom, he is well aware that he cannot exempt us from the pain of this world. And so, like us, as, fa as fallen and broken parents, the perfect parent walks with us and abides with us in what we're going through and brings us to places of wholeness. The scriptures are very straightforward about suffering. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. Pretty straightforward and not the only time he talked about it. But take heart. I have overcome the world, John 16. So how do we respond when we encounter suffering? Do we believe that God is for us? Do we expect that the spirit of Christ is with us and journeys through us through the dark places? And I'm not talking about the dark places that last an afternoon. I'm talking about the long haul dark places. Are we confident that God will see us through, that he will bring us to joy? that there is more for our life, or do we despair? Do we doubt that God loves us, that he is for us? Think about the last time that you experienced a small crisis or disappointment. Maybe it was in the traffic, maybe it was with your technology and a paper disappeared off your computer. That's true suffering, by the way. <laughs> I sometimes hear Christians breathe things like, oh, I hate my life, or, why does this always happen to me? Or if God loved me, this wouldn't happen to me. You know, these kind of responses reveal to us how we really feel about God and what we really see in our beliefs about God. And this is the point I want to make in this service today, that what we do with our pain determines to a large degree the direction of our spiritual life. What you do with your pain determines to a very great degree the direction of your spiritual life. Some of us think we need to live in denial. We're required to smile and praise Jesus no matter what. I just can't picture the prophet Isaiah when he hid in the tree and so his enemies sawed the tree in half. I can't picture him singing, God is so good. No. There are times when that's not the appropriate song. Some of us have been taught we have to stoically soldier on. We have to learn to endure. We have to develop a stiff upper lip and all that. But when we take this posture, we become grim. And there are many Christians walking through their life with no joy. They stoically soldier on. They have learned 
that if they have any complaint, it looks bad on God, so they're just going to make life happen. Some people hold pain in their heart. They hold it in isolation, and no one gets let in, and the seeds of bitterness grow. Friends, our pain needs to be processed. It must have a place to go. And some of the ways that we all process our pain comes out of our formation. But there are healthy patterns that we can adopt, and we're inv invited to them through the scriptures. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What Jesus is saying is that God enters into our mourning with us, that God's intention is toward comforting those who mourn. Now, if you read the commentaries on this, you'll find that it almost exclusively talks about mourning over our sinfulness. But certainly the application is broader than that. Certainly Jesus meant more than that as he looked out on this crowd of people and saw in them the mourning that he had compassion for. We mourn over our children. We mourn over the cost that following Christ sometimes puts on our children. We mourn over our lost hopes. We mourn over regrets and failures and broken relationships. We mourn over injustices that we've experienced, the injustice that our loved ones have experienced. And we mourn over the dark experiences of our own souls, over depression and anxiety and fear and addictions that we can't be free of. So this brings us to the spiritual discipline of lament. Lament, my friends, is a biblical practice revealed all the way through scriptures from Hagar to Jonah to Job to Habakkuk to Naomi and David. Lament is part of the human life and it's directly tied to the restoration of our souls. Lament, mourning, is truth-feeling and truth-telling. And when we're free to tell our truth, the truth about where we are, we become more able to risk the anxiety of moving to a new unknown place. And that's what God does, is he takes us to a new place. Now, I would be remiss not to mention the dangers of lamenting alone. Yes, lament often erupts from a deep solitude, but where it will end up is related to the context in which we place it. When a lament is released before God and in the presence of the word of God, our pain and our longing begins to find its rest in God's heart. And we are never alone with our lament, even though we feel alone. Remember Elijah's lament, that he, alone, he was alone in it. And the way the Lord comforted him was to say, no, there are 7,000 others who feel like you, who have not bowed the knee, who are following me. We're not alone, even when we feel alone. So I'd like to tell you that the community of saints is a community of Lent as, uh, lament as well as a community of faith. The community of saints is a place we can hold our lament. So here's a thought for you. If you are the leader of a community, is there any place within your community for lament? Do you have any capacity to bring your congregation into a lament in the context of the presence of God and the communion of saints? That's something we should talk about here in our theological conversations. My relationship to our Africans has taught me this. What I've learned is that although in our community, I think in our HR, if you suffer a loss of a loved one, you get three days off. The other, other communities set up a tent 
and get in the tent together and mourn for a month, for longer. They take time to be together and in community, let their lament pour out. When we encounter Christ's presence and love in the midst of the realities of our life that we wish were different, we discover that God is deeply connected with our, our actual and not our idealized life. Let me say that again. When we encounter Christ's presence and love in the midst of the realities of the life we live that we wish was different, then we discover that God is deeply connected with our actual life and not our idealized life. I do not have to be the ideal Christian for God to be deeply connected with my life. I do not have to be free of pain and agony or depression or failure or sorrow. My family doesn't have to be perfect. My marriage doesn't have to be perfect for God to connect with me. No, God is deeply invested in our actual life. That is where he meets us. And when he meets us there in our lament, there is a release of healing power where we least expect it. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing a psalm of lament. And I invite you to pour your own lament into it. Now, you can do this by being silent. You can do this by singing with us. If you need to just sit, actually, and just listen, that's fine. But I invite you to take a moment here and bring your lament, whatever it is, into this psalm. God is good, but not every day is good. Mom says, hurry up, boys, brush your teeth. And then she combs her daughter's hair and clips in her favorite barrette to keep it neat. The boys' shirts are untucked, so she grabs them to her and hugs them. And while she's doing that, she stuffs their, their shirt into their pants, smacks them on the behind. Then she puts a card for her friend in her purse, along with some mints for after the service, and snaps her purse shut. Two blocks away, a man opens a sports bag and begins to load it with guns and ammunition. He grins as what he imagines he has the power to do this morning. He scratches his head and thinks and then adds a handgun and zips it shut. Friends, this is our world. This is our time. But let's not forget that this is also our day of grace. This is our day of grace. And though wrong seems to rise to confront us every day, this is our moment of creative response. There is a shift toward maturity when our pain begins to embrace the pain of others. The deep rendering of God's love within us is not a secret stash of blessing we are to hoard. It's given to us to expand our heart for the sake of the whole. What God does in us in our private laments is prepare us for the way of the sacred flow of love to the world. And we begin to view others with God's heart. And we begin to share with God in the suffering of others. And our lament then broadens and widens and embraces the reality of people beyond ourselves, people in other nations, people in other situations, people in other lives. But you might ask, how does my lament really help anyone? 
Well, that question falls into the trap of us thinking that we can fix things, that we can, with our brilliance and giftedness and resources, actually solve the problems of this world. But in our own walk with God through suffering, we lose that illusion of control, and we grow in trust, letting go of God and letting, letting go to God and letting him control our life is not us letting go of the control of our life. It's letting go of the illusion of control of our life. And in the same way, neither can we control the events in someone else's life. That is a fallacy of ministry that can drive you to the end of yourself, trying to take control of other people's lives. We can only enter into other lives with love. So then how do we embrace so great a sorrow the sorrow that goes beyond what we can hold and is the lives of all these others. There's so many, there's so much. Only one way, and that is to carry it to the Lord, to receive comfort and strength and then step with courage into the invitation that God brings. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The comfort of God keeps paralysis at bay. That's what it does. We are comforted, we don't become bitter, we don't become tight, we don't become self-protected. We are comforted by God, and then we are enabled through the courage of God within us, free of despair, to act and to participate in our world. So friends, here we are on the cusp of Advent. And again, the Roman soldiers are thundering along the road. Herods are in their palace hatching schemes, and the children of the nations are in peril. Military coups take place, bombs are built, guns are loaded, and private pain of depression, addiction, and loss assault many homes. What will we do with this pain? Where will we find comfort? How will we participate in our day of grace? Well then, let's put our lament into the context of Advent. And again, here are the messages that were sent to the first, the first people experiencing the advent. In Luke 1.13, we find an old man who has lived with disappointment so long, it seems like it has become tattooed on his body. It is his identity. His prayers are old, his heart is dry, and an angel dispatched from heaven comes to bring him a message. This is the message. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. It seems like maybe our feeling of being heard is irrelevant. Our prayers have been heard. Do you need in your place of disappointment or long prayers need that message? Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. In Luke 1.30, Mary, a teenage girl whose life is not going to be anything like her daydreams were, anything like she imagined, her plans are not going to unfold, and what she thought was going to be her way is not going to happen. Know anyone like that? Things don't work out the way you thought it would? An angel comes to her and says, fear not, don't be afraid, because you have found favor with God. Life isn't going to be what you thought it was, but you have found favor with God, you are his beloved. When life isn't what we think it is, or when, we, when life isn't what we think it was going to be, we often think we have lost God's favor. 
But I want to tell you, beloved, the word is, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Okay, I heard that. Not that amen, but I heard, I heard someone's brain. And someone just thought, of course Mary had favor with God, but I'm sure not Mary. I'm a mess. Well then, friend, you need to go back to the scriptures. You need to go to 1 John. You need to go to John 17. You need to start believing what the scripture says about who you are. You have found favor with God. Luke 2.10, we come upon shepherds, the unnoticed, the Walmart worker, the lady behind the till, the pizza delivery person trying to put life together, the ones who feel they have no power and will never see success. The world is not constructed to support their lives. Does anybody here feel like that sometimes? The angel comes and says, do not be afraid for I bring you great news of great joy for all people. Don't miss that. First of all, God's intention for us is not that we are grim. He brings us great joy. And this is his plan for not just one life, not just the privileged, not just the ones where it's working out, but for all people. No one is overlooked. You are not left out. My friends, do not be intimidated by the powerful. Do not be paralyzed by your seeming smallness. That's what this message is. You are part of the inbreaking kingdom that shall be victorious, and you are seen, and you are important there. That's a word for us when we feel so small. And then Matthew 1.20, Joseph, an earnest young man trying to do his honorable best in an increasingly difficult situation, the angel comes and says, don't be afraid, Joseph, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. God is working in ways that we don't get. I look at this world and I don't see it. But God is working in ways that don't make any sense to us. And what is happening in our world is still within the grasp of the Holy Spirit who is unfolding history. Do you believe that? And we are responsible to engage where we are with trust. We are not the ones who are unfolding it. But neither are we paralyzed. For what is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And the last scripture I'd like to point to which moves a little past Advent, but is really the culmination of all these do not be afraid passages, is Matthew 14, 17, where those who love and follow Jesus are in a little boat, just a little boat, not a cruise ship, and they're on a storm that is threatening to end it all. It is not going to work out. The plan is not working, friends. And Jesus comes to them, and you know what he said? He said, do not be afraid. What did he say? It is I. That's the whole thing. That's the whole promise. It is I. That we have the presence of Christ with us. Do not be afraid. It is I. In this world you will have trouble, but do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. Hear these messages again. Friends, your prayer has been heard. You are beloved of God. You are not overlooked, so don't be impressed or intimidated by power. God is there for you, bringing joy, provision, care. The Holy Spirit is working in ways we can't understand, but the world isn't out of his control. There really is a holy plan, and it is unfolding now. It is I.
do not be afraid. So this Advent season, it reassures us that even as the Herods of this world plan their worst, God has already thrown open the gates of redemption and his unfettered plan for our lives and our world shall come to pass. So I give you the words of Isaiah. Strengthen the feeble hand. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those among us with fearful hearts, do not be strong, do not fear. For your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And water will gush forth on our poor, sad world. It will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where the jackals once lay in the grass, reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. <laughs>